take a moment as we begin to hear God's word and, and pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would send us your Holy Spirit this morning so that our hearts might be changed and formed by your gospel. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So culturally, we might hate to uh, talk about money, and, and that is unique to American culture. You know, for example, when I was in China, I think I got asked probably 50 times what I made in life. And, and they wanted a number. Um, and, and that was not at all awkward. That's just what the Chinese people did. Um, we, we might not like to talk about money, but that is not typically the case. Uh, and it's also not the case for Christians. Uh, Christians have at least loved to do awesome things with their money. For example, one of the first statements made about Christians is that all the Christians sold their property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Uh, this was an incredible thing that happened right after Pentecost, this great event where God sent his Holy Spirit and he made the first followers of Jesus after the resurrection. They loved to sell what they had and to give to anybody who had need, not even other believers, just anybody in general. And they sold everything. It wasn't capitalism trying to get their own wealth. It wasn't socialism where somebody was forcing them to give away their wealth. It was just great gospel generosity. That kind of generosity has always been marked by, or a mark of followers and believers in Jesus. J.D. Rockefeller, maybe you, you know he was a, a, at least a Christian. Uh, he said, I never would have been able to tithe the first million dollars I ever made if I had not tithed my first salary, which was $1.50 per week. He learned how to be that generous with everything he had from the very start. And this is a, this comes into then a principle that is true amongst a lot of believers. There's a guy, Andrew McNair, who is a wealth management uh, specialist. You know, he's your, your financial counselor, right? He says, one of the mysteries in my wealth management practice is the glaring coincidence that a large majority of my wealthiest clients are some of the largest givers and tithers I have ever met. Christians have always been marked by this kind of generosity that sets them apart from everybody else. And in these weeks, as we have taken a look at this act of giving, we've started at the beginning. We learned as the, uh, the lesson from Paul said today to give first to the Lord. We did that as we heard that God was, was saying, you know, there's no wonder you're not satisfied in life. We've got a lot of things that uh, we love. Some of them are good. Some of them are things like family and possessions and house and home. But even those things won't really satisfy us and make us generous. And so we learned to repent of those things, to give them to the Lord, and then hear his promise that he is with us and he wants to make us satisfied. From there, God moved on to encourage us, to tell us that he trusts us with everything he has, with all of these possessions, and he trusts us with his acceptance his approval. And so he is, he's probably the only person in the world who can ahead of time come to us and say, I'm going to give you everything that you need for life. And I'm going to tell you, well done, good job, so that we can learn to be trustworthy with the things we have. We get to grow into his trust. And, and this week then, lastly, God has this call for us to be sacrificial, 
to be incredibly generous with our gifts. Let's get down to this giving. And, and he wants to tell us three things. He wants to tell us what real giving is, what real giving does, and then what real giving makes, what it makes us into. And so here we go. First of all, we're looking in this section from Mark chapter 12, where we see Jesus sitting around uh, in the temple. He's in the large courtyard of the temple. And in the temple, there are 13 boxes, kind of like trumpets, uh, that people can put their gifts or their offerings into. They come by and, and they drop them in. And Jesus, as he sits there, he can see that there are many wealthy individuals giving large amounts of money. There's no checks. There's no offering envelopes. They're just dropping coins in, so it's kind of obvious. And then Jesus sees a woman come, a very poor widow, and she drops in those two little coins. Then he says, this woman has put more into the treasury than all the others. And we have to say, what? How is that possible? What, what do you mean she's put more into the treasury than all the others? Doesn't make any sense. Let me see if I can give us a, a little example to help. You probably have your own example already in your mind. Imagine uh, uh, two couples. Couple A has a pretty healthy and strong relationship. They are open with each other, they're honest, they're, they're, they're vulnerable, they can talk about how well they are doing relating to one another. They're busy, they're in their, say, late 30s, early 40s, they've got lots of kids and obligations at work and school and family. And, and yet, when the time comes that uh, the man wants to say, you know, I can't get the flower bed done before the party, he can say that. And he can say to her, I think, I think you, you, you're trying too hard. We need to settle and say, enough is enough. This is good enough. And we don't need to go any further. And they have the kind of relationship then where the woman can say, you know, you're probably right. I'm hearing you. I bet I'm just kind of getting into a spitting match with my neighbors. I'm trying to show them I can you know, have a nicer flower bed than my neighbors. And that... I, I don't really need to do this. You're, you're probably right. When he then brings home a gift, a, a nice bottle of wine or some new thing for the house, she says, thank you. Thank you very much. This was very generous of you and hugs and kisses and everybody's happy. Then imagine couple two. Couple two, they don't have that kind of healthy relationship. They, they don't have that same openness, that same honesty, that same vulnerability. Uh, there's a lot of, of fighting, and then they will solve the fight. One of them will bring home a gift to the other person. After they bring home the gift, there's a couple of, of good days of being happy again, and then there's another fight, and then somebody brings home a gift, and you do the same cycle over and over and over. Now, in both situations, Somebody gives. There's a physical thing that's given. In the first relationship, there's a, a physical gift given. There's also something else, isn't there? There is, there is that trust. There is that love. There is that affection. 
In the second relationship, there's a physical gift given, sure, but, but the gift is given to get something. The gift is given to get favor, to get approval, to get acceptance, to fix a, a problem and to make somebody else happy. And Jesus is telling us in this lesson, you know, sometimes giving might look like giving, but you know what sometimes giving is actually? Sometimes giving is just getting. Sometimes it's actually getting, right? Sometimes we use giving to get somebody to like us, to accept us, to, to approve of us. You know what giving is, is actually supposed to be? Jesus says it here. He says, this woman gave more. She didn't give more money. She gave away the power to control her life. She gave away the, the control that she has over her life. And that is what real giving is. Giving is giving away this power that we have to control ourselves. Jesus says this actually very pointedly, very, very specifically in, in talking about this woman. And he uses a specific way to say it that I'm going to bring out to, to us in a second. Here's this woman, this poor widow, who brings two small coins as an offering. Uh, the, the purchasing power of those coins probably would have been a bath. That was the only thing. People didn't usually have their own bathroom in their house. And so she probably could have bought one public bath. Now, here's a woman, a, a widow. And in the Jewish culture and life, Everything says that she should be a protected class. God in Psalm 68 says that he is a father to the fatherless and the defender of the widows and the orphans. Um, when he speaks in, in the setting up the tithe system, every three years, a chunk of the tithe was to be put away in the cities to take care of the immigrants, the widows, and the, uh, the, the Levites, the people who worked as priests and didn't have any of their own income. When Jesus speaks about the end of the world, the end of all things, one of the ways he describes the end of the world, he says, people are going to be coming to me. I'm going to say to them, hey, you know, I was clothless, I was naked, and you didn't give me any clothes. I was thirsty, and you hungry, and you didn't feed me. I was homeless, and you didn't give me a home. And people are going to say back to him, Jesus, when did we see you like this? And, and Jesus is going to say, whatever you didn't do for one of these people, you didn't do for me. Right? However you treated the people who were most needy among you, that's how you treated me. So here's this woman who is in this, this protected class in society in, in Jewish life. And what is she doing? Look at what she does here. See, every translation that you read probably says that she, out of her poverty, put in everything she had to live on. I bet if you look in all of your, your Bibles, it will say something like that. But you know what Jesus actually says about this woman? It says, she, out of her poverty, put in her whole life. She put in her whole life. Here's a, a woman who is supposed to be protected, 
cared for. And we don't know if she's doing this because she loves God or if because she feels the expectation that if she comes to church, she has to give money and this is all she has left and so she better give it. We don't know the reason. But here is a, a woman who is needy more than anybody else and yet she's giving up her whole life. Do you see what God is, is showing us here? Do you see what Jesus is, is saying to us here? He's saying, you know, many times when you and I give, we're actually getting. When we're giving so that we can get somebody's favor or approval or acceptance. I'm thankful that most of you, I think you're not worried about earning my favor or approval because that means that all of those cute little onesies, you know, I can, I can keep and I don't have to worry about the liking you because of that. I'm just kidding. I do like you a lot. All right. Don't worry about that. Right. But what he even goes beyond that. And, and he's saying to us, most of the time when we give, we give out of our margin. We give out of our richness. We give out of our wealth. None of us have, have given so that we don't have a, a home to go back to. None of us has given so that we don't have food to eat for lunch. This woman gave out of her out of her poverty. She gave out of her, her nothing so that the people in the temple could have something to eat. She gave her whole life. And what real giving does then, what Jesus is saying is real giving goes so far as to give away our own lives, even so other people can have a life. Let's them have a life to live. You know what God is is showing us here. He's not so much showing us that we should give like this woman. That would be fine. We could give like this woman, but, but that's not really the point. What God is showing us here is he's saying, here's what Jesus has to do for you. You and I, we're all so busy trying to control our lives and, and control the money and everything else so we can make things make things work out. But literally, this woman gave her whole life and, and relinquished control. What Jesus has figurative, or what, what the woman figuratively did, Jesus has literally done for us. He relinquished all of that control. Jesus never said, you have to give up control to some God who lives far away. He said, I'm going to come and give up the control so you can give Give control to me. You know, this same system that, that took this money from this woman, or at least let her give this money, the, the rules and the values and the expectations of that, that Jewish religious life, you know, was the same one that Jesus said, I will willingly give up my whole life to it. And when you and I begin to see that he gave up that control, when he gave everything, that's when we're finally going to start to be able to give something. When, when you see that Jesus, he put himself in this box, when he, he gave up his control, his whole life, that's going to melt your heart. And finally you'll say, I can stop trying to control everything I have and just let him 
have some control and the gifts will flow freely. When I went to Niagara Falls this summer, I, I learned a little bit about something that really brought this out beautifully. And then I, I had to look the rest of it up later. Maybe some of you know a man named Charles Blunden. Charles Blunden. He, in, back in 1859, he stretched a rope across the falls for the first time. And he, he walked across the Niagara Falls. He was a tightrope walker. It was his, his first time. There was a big crowd there that day, 10,000 or so people. His manager, Harry, said, wow, this was really cool. We have to do this again next week. And so they said, well, what are we, what's going to bring everybody back next week? Let's do a stunt. And so they said, we're going to do a stunt next week. Come on back and check out this stunt. The next week, they did a stunt. I, I don't remember which one he did. I think he, you know, he put a, a, a big sack on his shoulders, and he carried a sack uh, on his shoulders across the falls. Week after week, he did a stunt to keep the crowds coming back. Uh, one of my favorites is he, he wheeled in a wheelbarrow a cook stove, a kitchen stove, brought an egg with him. He cooked the egg on the stove that was you know, flaming, and then he passed the egg, the cooked egg, the omelet, I think it was actually, down to the people on the Maid of the Mist passing by. Cool, huh? Very cool. Pretty crazy. Right, And so by the end of the summer, he and his manager are starting to say, we're running out of stunts. I don't know what else to do. We need to wrap this up somehow. And they say, I've got it. Here's what we'll do. Let's carry a man on your back across the river. They advertise and they say, we will pay somebody $1,000, 1859, $1,000, if you let Charles carry you across the river. And they get thousands. There's probably 100,000 people that show up in the crowd to watch that day. Thousands of people uh, come to try out for this position. You know, he eliminates the people who are, are too old or too, uh, too big or too tall or, you know, too small, right? They got to eliminate all the, the, the people that don't fit in the right categories and would make it unsafe. And then they finally get a good crew. Harry does a whole bunch, or Charles does a whole bunch of stunts real quick to prove that he can do it. You know, he carries a 200-pound sack across the river back and forth. Uh, he does the wheelbarrow thing. He does a bunch of stuff to show, yes, I really can do this. And then Charles goes to them and he says, do you believe that I can carry you across this river? And they all say, yes, 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 yes. And one at a time, he goes down the line. And then he says, will you let me carry you across Niagara Falls? And every one of them, to a man, said, not on your life. <laughs> Our problems with, with Christianity, with following Jesus, are, are not just intellectual. The problem is, are you willing to give your life to it? And, and the way that the, the story ends, Harry looks at Charles and he says, we've got a crowd of 100,000 people. We've got to do something here. Charles says, it's got to be you, man. You've got to do it. You've got to let me carry you. And so Charles puts Harry up on his back, and he starts walking across the river. They get to the middle, and uh, Harry is scared. You know, He's frightened. He's scared sitting up on the back of this guy, and he can feel that Charles is starting to sway a little bit. And when Charles sways, then Harry gets more afraid, and he tries to counteract. He tries to balance his own way. And then screaming over the falls, Charles says to him, stop, you've got to stop. He says, Harry, until I clear this area, you've got to become part of me, mind, body, and soul. 
If I sway, you must rest in me completely and sway with me. And do not attempt to balance yourself. If you do, we shall both go down to our deaths. What Charles said is, if, if you try to save yourself, you're going to lose your life here. But if, if you lose yourself to me, if you let go of the control to me, then you will save yourself and save your life. And that's what Jesus says to you and to me. What he makes us is, he makes us into people who let him control us. What Jesus wants you to say today is, is Father, Father, I see how much you love me. Because of Jesus, you accept me and you take me as your very own. And I trust you. I trust you completely to control everything in my life. And you know how you can be confident that Jesus will never let you down? If you want to finish the example, it's because Jesus already went down into the waters. Right? He fell off the rope and he went down into the depths and he, he gave up his own life. And you can be utterly confident then that no matter what, he will never let go of you. Let him have that control. If he gave up everything, then certainly you and I can give up something, can't we? Let's pray for that. Heavenly Father, this widow serves as a, a sweet, a dear, and a precious example for us. Most importantly, she points us to Jesus. When we see him give up control, it, it finally it starts to work something in our hearts so that we can give up control of our lives and all of our stuff. We stop using our stuff to get things, and we finally can start giving. Work that repentance and that true faith in our hearts, Lord Jesus, because Jesus has given so much for us.